Amen. You can be seated. Those Christmas hymns, most of us know the first verse, but when you get into some of those last ones, they may be unfamiliar, but they're so rich in truth. Amen. If you have your Bibles, I want you to take them to John's Gospel, chapter number 1. John's Gospel, chapter number 1. We'll pick up reading in verse number 10, but I want to focus on verse number 14. And I want to talk to you today on this subject, Jesus the true wonder of Christmas. Jesus, the true wonder of Christmas. <coughs> John chapter 1, pick up reading in verse number 10. Of course, John is speaking about the Word uh, coming into this world, speaking of the Lord Jesus. He says, he was in the world, talking of Jesus, and the world was made by him, the world knew him not. What a wondrous verse. The very author of creation walked among men and they didn't know him. Verse 11, and he came unto his own and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he the power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. In his book on the five love languages, Gary Chapman describes the ways in which people communicate their love toward each other. He lists them in these seven of these five different categories. I'm sure many of you probably heard these. There are words of affection, quality time, the receiving of gifts, the acts of service, and physical touch. And he explains in the book how that each of these are ways in which love is communicated between one another. You know, it's interesting that during the Christmas time, more than any other time of the year, these love languages, Gary Chapman puts them, are in great effect naturally around Christmas time. You think about that. At Christmas gatherings, we often speak words of affirmation to each other, words of love to each other, more than at any time of the year. We take time off of our labors and our, our work to spend rich quality time with each other. We exchange gifts, gifts that may well have taken quite a bit of time to find because we're all looking for that perfect gift to give one another. Uh, we perform acts of service for each other. We, we, we run errands. We, we assemble toys. We do extra cooking. We do all these efforts for one another to communicate our love. We tend to be much more freer with relating to each other through touch at Christmas time. We hold our children and grandchildren. We, we hug our family members. We, we put a caring hand on a dear friend's shoulders more often at Christmas time. Each of these are expressions of love, expressions that we seldom give any other time of the year. Isn't that a wondrous thing? How that 
It is there is something about Christmas in which we express love toward each other more than any other. I believe this is one of the wonders of Christmas. The expressions of love that are displayed in this time of year are, or at least they should be, rooted in the arrival of the Christ child, the birth of Jesus. Now although John, the beloved disciple who wrote the of the passage that we read before us, he does not give us a stable and shepherds. He does not give us Mary and the Magi in his Christmas nativity, but he does give us a brief statement that is the true wonder of Christmas. The first part of verse 14 gives us this short synopsis of what took place when Mary gave birth on that first Christmas morn. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Oftentimes after Christmas, you know, there's the emotional letdown. I experienced it when I was a kid. There was always that anticipation of what's under the tree and what will be open and what will be found behind the wrappings. And although there would be hours of play shortly thereafter, there is almost a sense of, loss, a sense of of sorrow after all of the anticipation of Christmas. You've heard of it, the Christmas blues. Oftentimes people feel that after the moments of Christmas have passed, there is a a sense in which depression or a, a draining takes over us. But I'm convinced that if we will focus on the wonder of Christmas, the true wonder of Christmas this season, that we can possess An inner joy that will last not only this week or this day, but in the months to come, all year long. Every one of us can renew our true wonder of Christmas by embracing three truths that I want to draw from these first few words at the beginning of verse number 14. First of all, I want you to look at the moment of Christmas. The moment of Christmas. John here, he is telling, uh, he calls Jesus the Word. This goes all the way back to verse number 1. And in essence, he is trying to put together the deity of the Lord Jesus and Him being one with the Father and separate with the Father. He said in verse number 1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In all of the mystery of the Trinity, he is speaking of the Word, the message, the Logos of God is that person of Jesus. And that message, the Word of God, was robed in flesh, in verse 14, in a single moment of time. You know, the Apostle Paul writes his own story of the uh, incarnation of the Lord Jesus in Galatians 4, verses 4 through 5. Listen to how he writes it. But when the fullness of time was come, speaking of that moment, that precise moment in history when this took place, in the fullness of time, God sent forth His Son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law. The Apostle Paul is not talking about a moment, but the moment. You see, the moment in time. It, mar- it was marked on heaven's calendar long before it took place 
in eternity past. In that the word in this moment, the word became, as John describes it, the word became flesh. God became flesh. In this incarnation, I want you to notice two things. When we talk about the word becoming flesh, I want you to think about, first of all, an announced moment. This moment in Bethlehem and the moment Jesus was born was not a surprise to God. It may have been to the shepherds, it may have been to the magi, but it was not a surprise to God. Nine months prior to the birth of Jesus, an angel came uh, to a teenage virgin girl named Mary, we talked about her quite a bit last week, with a startling announcement. Luke 1, 30 and 32, the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God, and behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb, and bring forth the Son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus. He shall be great, and he shall be called the Son of the Highest. So, no, the, the announcement of his birth was prior to Mary even being conceived uh, by the Holy Spirit, Jesus being conceived by the Holy Spirit, but it even goes further than that. It's not just nine months before Jesus was born, but actually hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus was born. Uh, through the, 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 through the uh, prophets of the Old Testament, the wondrous birth was given. Isaiah chapter number 7 verse 14, And behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and, sh and shall call his name Emmanuel. Isaiah 11, 1 through 2 says, uh, prophesies of the coming of the Messiah, and there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots, and the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, and the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. That is the Messiah. That is the coming of Jesus. Malachi 5.2 says, But thou, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall come forth one unto me that is to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been uh, from old, from everlasting. And there are numerous other prophecies concerning the coming of a Messiah, but these all declare what John gives us here in verse 14 as the Word, the message of God, the Logos of God being made flesh. But these handful of scriptures tell us of that wondrous announcement, the longing of Israel, the longing of the Hebrew people, still to this day, those that have missed the coming of Jesus, their true Messiah, they still wait on, even to this day, looking for the promised one, the Messiah, to come. But the reality is, He has already come. In the fullness of time, God sent forth His Son. The announcement of this moment, but also the arranged moment, an arranged moment. These prophecies concerning and of the coming Messiah go back to the dawn of the days of man. Ray, back in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15, we have the first hint of a promised one to come. God said to Adam and Eve and the serpent, I will put enmity between thee and the woman, talking to the serpent, thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed, 
and it shall bruise thy hand, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Significant words, words difficult actually to comprehend in their, in their context. What is Jesus prophet? What is he telling of? He is giving us a prophecy of what would take place at the coming of the Messiah. So what was so special about the days of Mary and Joseph? I mean, why was Jesus born in the days of Herod? Why not in the days of Moses and Pharaoh? Why not in the days of the prophets did not Jesus come then? What is so special about the era where Herod and Caesar Augustus reigned? Why not some other moment in time? I'll not presume to climb into the mind of God to give you definitive proof as to why Jesus was born at this particular time and what distinguishes of this from others, but I would like to draw some attention to some unusual events that were taking place right when Jesus was born that I feel as though set the stage for the coming of Jesus. Uh, centuries before Alexander the Great had come through and conquered the then known world, he established Greek culture and language throughout the known world at the time. The Roman Empire followed then and had organized the whole Mediterranean basin into one vast communication network, almost perfectly geared to foster the spread of the gospel. So many languages, barriers that had been there in centuries past had been broken down in that common Greek koine that was being spoke all over the region. Rome had spread the welcome blanket for, of peace across the world by something called the Pax Romana. Although Rome ruled with an iron fist, it was a time of great peace. Uprisings were squelched all over the world of the Roman rule. And it provided economic and political stability all over the world. This enabled the apostles to travel freely throughout the empire on the magnificent road systems that were built by the Romans and Christianity caused to be able to thrive throughout the world of Macedonia and the, Medi and the, uh, and the uh, Mesopotamia and on into other regions of the world. Also religiously, the Jews had developed the synagogue system for worship as well as schools and courts. Israel had once and for all forsaken the idolatry that had so, so plagued them in the past. Do you remember the days of Solomon and how they worshipped Ashtaroth and Moloch and they were quickly drawn away by the other gods, the Canaanite gods of that region, and for centuries so. But by the time we get past the Maccabean era of that uh, intertestamental period, the Jews predominantly had put off the idolatry that had so plagued them. And although they would reject Jesus as their promised Messiah, the Jewish people were looking and longing for the Messiah to bring in His kingdom. Hearts were prepared to, re just like we sung, hearts were prepared to make Him room in that day and time. 
God was preparing the stage for His Son, the Word, to be made flesh and to dwell among us. Even in the timing of the coming of Jesus, we see the wonder of the the incarnation, the wonder of the coming Christ, the Word being made flesh, the moment of Christ's birth, the miracle of Christ's birth. You know, in truth, there have been multiplied millions of babies that have been born since man has been created. Uh, You know, in and of themselves, the birth of a child is a a miracle in, in many regards. I don't know if you've been there when your children have been born, but it is very much a miracle that takes place. But no birth of a child has marked history more than the babe born in Bethlehem. His birth was unlike any other birth. His birth was a miraculous birth. The Word became flesh, as John tells us, not by means of natural procreation, but of supernatural incarnation. Notice, first of all, we see a specific conception. This is what makes the birth of Jesus so wonderful and so breathtaking. The Bible says in Matthew 1.18, Now, the birth of Jesus was on this wise when his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph before they came together. She was found with child of the Holy Spirit, Holy Ghost. Matthew 1.22 and 23. Now, all this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Here's what's being said. This child was born of miraculous means, not the uh, the general path of procreation of the human race, but exceptional. He has become one of us, but differently from miraculous means. Luke 1, 26 and 27. And in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God into a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. I want you to notice carefully the wording of that verse. It says in Matthew 1, 16, And Jacob beget Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called the Christ. Notice carefully how that it is, the the scripture falls over itself not to say that Joseph begat Jesus. It said that Joseph was the husband of Mary, not the father of Jesus. You will find that clearly detailed in all of the inspired Word of God. To come up with anything different means that it comes from the minds and philosophies, the knowledge of human knowledge. The Word itself, Scripture, goes out of its way to give a miraculous birth. It says that Jesus was born of Mary, which is a direct reference to the virgin birth prophesied in Isaiah 7. Now, there is a tendency in our world today 
by those who claim to be Christians and yet try to be intellectually acceptable with the world around us and attempt to strip the Bible of all that is miraculous. They want to explain away Jesus' feeding of the 5,000 as some sort of hypnotic uh, hypnotic apparition. They, they, uh, they want to explain away Jesus walking on water by, the, uh, by the, the thickness of the water and the density causing Him to float in unusually high manner. They'll, they'll go out of their way to explain away by natural course that which is supernatural. Even the resurrection. Uh, they'll chalk it up to the swoon theory. Jesus was swooned and not dead and somehow he overpowered the guard and moved the stones to get out of the grave. And, or, or, or maybe the disciples hallucinated their sightings of Jesus. They want to explain away in the same way the miracle of the virgin birth. But I agree with Dr. Al Mohler. I love the way he puts this. Listen closely. Christians must face the fact that a denial of the virgin birth is a denial of Jesus as the Christ. The virgin birth does not stand alone as a biblical doctrine. It is an irreducible part of the biblical revelation about the person and work of Jesus Christ. With it, the gospel stands and falls. The virgin birth is, is an undebatable, essential element of the Christian faith. Without it, the Christian faith falters and falls. Listen, I can get, a lot of, I can get along with a lot of denominational people. I can hold hands with others. I can fellowship with others that have different denominational beliefs is mine, whether they be uh, certain aspects of charismaticism or, or even, uh, even Anglicanism or, or different other denominations. I can hold hands with me. But when it comes to these essentials, the virgin birth of Jesus Christ, the, the deity of Christ, the, the death of Christ, the sacrificial death of Christ, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, these are the essentials that we Hold dear, and if we let go of one, we lose them all. We lose the gospel. And so, we can't go by human wisdom. We go by the Word of God given to us in Scripture. The miracle of Christ's birth is, is, it's a, it is a special, a specific conception. A specific inroad. Don't let anybody... Tear the virgin birth of Jesus Christ away from the Christian faith. It is part and parcel. And this is the significant reason why. Notice next the significant conclusion. Why, Brother Ronnie, why is it so important for Mary uh, to be a virgin and conceived by the Holy Spirit, Jesus being conceived by the Holy Spirit, then she's just a teenage girl that, uh, that was taken advantage of. And why, why, why can't it be that way? Well, there's significant reasons. Why a virgin birth? All of the other great men of biblical history came by natural processes. We know that Moses was born 
uh, by his mother and father, uh, just in the natural process of, of human conception. Jeremiah, uh, Isaiah, David himself was born in the line of Jesse. Why, why, why couldn't the Messiah, the great king of Israel, David, was born of natural means? Why, why not the Messiah? Well, there's a biblical reason. Why is Jesus' conception different? In Matthew 121, the angel said to Joseph the reason why. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus. Listen, for he shall save his people from their sins. Moses cannot save his people from their sins. David, Jeremiah, Isaiah, as great men as they are, filled with the Holy Spirit to write the word of God, cannot save us from our sins. Jesus singly, uniquely, is the only one charged with such meaning in his coming to this world. If Jesus were to save his people from their sins, then a virgin birth is an absolute necessity. Romans 5.12, the Apostle Paul, he writes his most enthralling epistle to the Roman believers there at the time. And in Romans 5.12, he is outlining uh, Jesus' sacrifice and what its meaning is. And he, he comes to Romans 5.12 and he says this, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered the world. Who is that? That's Adam. Sin, the head, the head of man, Adam. By one man's sin in entered into the world and death by sin and so that death passed upon all men for that all have sinned. I'm sure you've heard of our DNA technology in which we have in this day and time. They can look at your DNA and they can find out that you are predispositioned to certain illnesses whether hypertension or, or whether... Uh, other things, diabetes, they can look at the DNA to see, uh, to almost peer into the future and say, yes, you are, you are because of your descendancy and nothing else, because of your descendancy, you are, you are prone to this disease. Well, imprinted on our DNA as the lineage and legacy of the, of the existence of Adam created so many eons ago, we all are born into this world tainted by sin. Every one of us scarred before, before uh, scarred in our lineage, scarred in our legacy. This verse tells us that we inherit our sin nature from, from the natural birth of men and women. And it's not long before that, that inherited sin manifests itself in our actions, in our rebellion. Therefore, Jesus, he could not come from the line of Adam and be a savior. If Jesus to be our substitute and save his people from their sins, he had to be present as one of us, but be in a state of absolute sinlessness. Even the slightest tint of sin would disqualify Jesus from becoming our substitute. Because if he had sinned, then the cross was, uh, the, the, the judgment of God was upon him for his sin. But on the cross, Jesus was without sin, therefore he might die for us. And this is all taught. It's all taught in the ABCs 
of Sinai, the ABCs of the tabernacle and the temple, the sacrifices, the, all, the, all of the days of the Passover. This is all taught in the ABCs of the animal blood. But as Hebrews tells us, animal blood cannot pay for sin. The, the, the blood of bulls and of goats and ashes of an heifer cannot purge sin from us. It had to be kind for kind. There had to be a spotless substitute for us, one for one, one for all, actually. Jesus, for Him to be our substitute, had to come from a different line, not from the line of Adam. It was therefore necessary for Him to become flesh in such a way that He would not possess inherited depravity. This could only be accomplished by a virgin birth. That's why the virgin birth is a non-negotiable. Never will be negotiated. Non-negotiable. If he was not born of a virgin, then he could not be a savior. If he could not be a savior, we can't be saved from our sins. And as the apostle Paul would tell us, we are more miserable than all men. Oh, but we, we do have a savior. We do have one that died on the cross. Brother Ronnie, many people died on the cross Many people died in that day and time on crosses. Yes, that is so. But this is the only one that after being in the grave three days and three nights was visibly, bodily seen by his followers, his apostles. They touched his hands. They put their fingers into his side. They saw the living Christ. Therefore proving for all and forever that he is the Messiah. He is the sacrifice of our sin. Hallelujah. Jesus is the virgin Born Son of God. The moment of Christ's birth. The miracle of Christ's birth. And finally, the motive of Christ's birth. Christ's birth. With all this in mind, one might think, well, that's all fine and good, but why? Why? Why did Jesus come as a baby born in Bethlehem? I want us to notice one, notice one of the words in our text. Notice verse number 14. And the word, the moment, was made flesh. The moment, the miracle, made, 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 being made flesh. Notice this. And dwelt among us. Look at the word dwelt. The word literally means to tent, to encamp, to tabernacle. It literally speaks of how the Word, Jesus, the Son of God, became fashioned as one of us. He took upon Himself personhood. The Creator of all. By His Word all things were created. The Creator of all became the created. He became one of us. Hebrews 2.14, listen to what it says. For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, He, Jesus, also Himself likewise took part of the same. Jesus became a person just like you and I. Blood, bones, skin. If we were to... If we were to see him today, he would not hover down the aisle. He would walk like a man. He would come in and have features that you could 
You could shake his hand. You could touch his feet. He is not an apparition. He's not a figment of the imagination. He didn't hover over the ground. He wasn't a heavenly apparition. No, he became one of us. Flesh and bone, just as you and I. I like how Dr. Robert Moyer said in one of his messages, in Jesus, divine omnipotence moved in a human arm. In Jesus, divine wisdom was cradled in a human brain. In Jesus, divine love throbbed in a human heart. In Jesus, divine compassion glistened in a human eye. In Jesus, divine grace poured forth in human lips. That's the wonder. The wonder. The wonder that God became man. Jesus came to identify with us. The creator became the creature. Paul tells us of this incarnation of Jesus in Philippians 2, 7 and 8. But made himself no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. Being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself. Jesus was no ghost. He was no phantom. He's no legend. So many people. So many people today want to chalk Jesus up to a legend, a figment, something that was born of a culture that, that appropriated an ancient tale of, of mythology and made up a Jesus. That's what's so wonderful about the moment of his birth in the year of Caesar Augustus when Serenius was governor. It's a point, a place in time history all through the New Testament all through the New Testament you have figures in history times moments events that's not a part of mythology mythology is an ambiguous made-up story with no guiding stars of when anything took place but here in the New Testament the Son of God was born in a moment of time the miracle of God came to this earth he dwelt among us to dwell among us and then also to die for us. What's the motive of the incarnation? What's the motive not only to dwell among us but to die for us? As we focus closer, we can still ask the question, why did he come? Why did he come and dwell among the lowly such as you and me? He dwelt among us that he may die for us. I want you to notice Two of the passages I read, but I didn't read them in their completion. Listen to Hebrews 2, 14. For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same. Listen to how it goes on. That through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil. He has the power of over death. What did he say in the book of Revelation? I am he that was dead and alive forevermore and had the keys of death and hell. He came to die so that he may have power over death in his resurrection. Philippians 2.8 And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. These two verses clearly tell us the reason of his coming. He came to die. Not to die the death of a martyr. Jesus is not the precursor of a Martin Luther King or, or some kind of martyr 
to a cause, swept up in a moment, hated for no reason, and, and cut down in his prime. No, just as God planned the moment of his birth, he planned the moment of his death. He came for a purpose, a date with destiny on the cross for our sins. Peter tells us what his death means. In 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19, For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold, or for vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish and without spot. Jesus is that Paschal lamb. He's that Passover lamb that died in our place. The lamb of God, John said, which taketh away the sin of the world. The babe born in Bethlehem would grow to become the man dying on Calvary's cross. His wooden manger has everything to do with His wooden cross. His blood redeems us from the curse of sin and its consequences. And this redemption is available to you today. Upon your repentance and toward God and faith in the Lord Jesus as we said, the, as we sung moments ago, the Christ would be birthed in you in the new birth. This means that you stop living a life of living for sin and for self. Stop going, stop going your own way by making a bad face and trust Jesus as Lord and Savior. You know, we started, we started this message talking about love languages and how how we express that love. Brother Ronnie, why is, why is this such a culturally indelible time of the year where there is a sense of compassion and love and reaching out? Yeah, the, the Santa train was here this, this past uh, weeks following up. They gave out a number of gifts, and, and I love those folks, but the reality is as many of they don't know the Lord. Yeah, they have an overwhelming compassion to... Give. Give out. Why? Why? You know why? Because, you know, this season has more. This season has more to do with John 3.16 than it does Luke 2. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. God gave His Son the greatest love gift of all. For us. The wonder of Christmas is the wonder of God's infinite gift of love. His own dear son. The Christmas story has everything to do with the gospel story. That's what's lost in the culture. And, and many people want to stamp that out. They want to keep certain virtues of kindness. and They want to, they want to, they want to keep these virtues. But at their root, at their root... Is God's gift of His Son. The love God had in giving His Son. The Gospel. As we celebrate today, and I'm so glad you're here and, and came this morning to me. I know some couldn't make it, but I'm so glad you're here to celebrate what in reality this is all about. It's not about love and giving gifts or being kind to each other, although they're in that strange mix they're periphery because at the heart of the love of this season is God's love to send His Son to us. We don't, we don't sacrifice animals now. We don't, have to, we don't have to bring the bullock 
and the, and the whatever to come to the temple to have them inspected, to look at, to make sure that they're without blemish so that their throat could be cut and their blood spilled and their bodies burned and, and to be dissected and placed on the altar. All that's gone. Why? Because the sacrifice of all sacrifices came in Jesus Christ, born of a virgin in the town of Bethlehem, grew up among men, sinless, spotless, died on a cross, raised the third day, ascended to the Father, and is coming again and coming again to claim His own. One day soon, Jesus is coming. We celebrate today what God has done for us in His dear Son, Jesus. Amen. If you don't know Him today, today's a wonderful day to embrace the gospel, the good news. Christ has come, lived the perfect life, died on the cross for our sins. Amen. Let's all stand, every head bowed, every eye closed. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you. I thank you for the gospel. If there, the gospel, the birth, the incarnation is essential to your gospel. Hope we, un, hope we leave today with that understanding. It's essential that you be one of us, but not from the same line. God, that you be born of that virgin, of the seed of the woman, not the seed of the man the seed of the woman, that you would be born into this world, the seed of God, but made like us to die for us, subject to the same law, and yet without accusation or blemish. Father, we thank you for that. We glorify you. We are so grateful for that silent night in which Jesus was born. Help us to celebrate it rightly. Help us to find time today in which we, we yield uh, to our God and with Thomas, say, my Lord and my God, my Savior, Jesus. Oh, may we, may we adore you and love you today and every day. Father, we ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen and amen.